We're in the beginning of a new series, and it's on prayer. In fact, it's called Pray 2017, and our focus is going to be on John chapter 17, particularly verse 9, as we look at each of the verses in John 17 with this in mind. I am praying for them. That John 17 is where we observe, we have an opportunity to overhear Jesus praying not only for his disciples then, and they were more than the 12 disciples and Judas who deserted and betrayed him. There were many, many disciples that he would later appear to in his resurrection. He was praying for them, but he was also futuristically praying for you. And I just find that totally mind-blowing that Jesus, prior to going to the cross, in his final prayer, has me on his mind. And he is in conversation with God about me. Now there's two things that I want you to know as I introduce this series that are behind the scenes. Number one, disciples are followers not fans. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ, not simply a fan or a spectator. They're a participant. Uh, In Matthew 8, we find that Jesus prepared to go to the other side, the other side of the lake. And a scribe, that is a religious teacher, came to him and said, Teacher, I want to follow you. And he said, To follow me, you must bear in mind that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, to follow me is going to cost you something. It's uncomfortable. It's rugged. And then someone else said, well, I'm going to follow you, but first let me go bury my dead father. And he wasn't trying to be rude or cruel when he said to that young man, he said, let the dead, let those that have the dead in mind more than me, the living Lord, let them bury your father and come and follow me. There's a sense of urgency and priority in that a disciple would follow Jesus before he would follow his family. Or he would leave his family in order to draw very close and walk alongside and be taught and conform his life to the teachings of Jesus. Now why am I saying that? Because this sermon series is going to be very, very direct. It's going to be very, very practical. It's for disciples. And if you're just a fan, if you're just an observer, if you're someone that you just want a little bit of Jesus, Sunday morning is enough for you, you're going to be very dissatisfied. But if you say, I want to be a better follower 
I want to follow more closely, then I want to urge you to prayerfully pray for me. Pray for God's Word taught by the Holy Spirit to make an impact. Pray that every obstacle would be removed so that you might pray. Because secondly, I know three things about you. Number one, I already know, I mean, I know already that you know more about prayer than what you're doing. So this message series is not designed to go deep. It's not designed in order to to talk about where we're taught uh, everything in the Bible about prayer. It's not designed for depth of knowledge. You already have knowledge. It's not designed for that. So like I said, rather than be deep, I'm going to seek to be more I'm going to seek to be more direct. Okay? Number 2, this is what I know about you. I know that guilt and shame are poor motivators. Guilt and shame do not motivate you very long. It's very short-lived. Now, we'll move. We'll move forward with guilt. We can be guilted into doing things, but it won't last. It won't change our lifestyle. And so, I'm not going to be preaching so much why we need to pray, why we need to pray, why don't you pray, as much as how to pray. In Luke 11, verse 1, the disciples approached Jesus. And they approached Him because they had observed Him praying. They had heard Him pray. John 17 would not have been the first prayer that they overheard, and then it was recorded by John the disciple. They would have seen Him pray every day, heard Him pray often. And I'm sure many times they would have prayed or been encouraged to to sit very close and observe Him or even pray themselves. But in Luke 11, verse 1, the disciples approach Him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. They don't say, Lord, why do you pray? They knew it was a conversation with God. They wanted it. And He didn't guilt them or shame them. He said, here's how. And He gave them what is famously known as the Lord's Prayer. And that's what I want to do. Is I don't want to talk to you so much about why it's whoever's we need to pray, but how. What are some very practical tools? So at the end of the, the message, and it is a part of my time. It is a part of the message this morning. The outline is four things. I'm going to read a bit of scripture on prayer. I'm going to make three observations. I'm going to... I mean, two observations, three applications, and then we're going to pray. We are going to pray. We're going to take some time to pray as a congregation. You're going to write out, you're going to write out a praise in prayer to God. And you're not going to turn it into me. Uh, We call it a prayer journal. But this morning, we're just going to take time to to write out a prayer of praise to glorify and make much of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to put amen at the end of the page. 
And then I'm going to close us in prayer and we're going to go to the Lord's table. Having prayed in that manner as a congregation. And I said that there's the third thing that I, there's three things that I know about you. The third thing that I know about you is that you actually want to pray daily. You actually want to pray. And that you want for tools. And I believe that the best way to learn how to pray as a disciple who follows Jesus and is not simply a distant fan, as someone that doesn't simply want to have theology that makes you go, oh, profound teaching, but you want God's Word to move you to actually do, that the best way, the best way to learn how to pray is to actually do it. And so we're going to, each week, we're going to have various means where we have a very practical time together to pray. And we're going to do some different ways. This morning we're going to write it out. Next week it's going to be something a little bit differently. Um, last night, getting ready for uh, supper, uh, Emerson's meal was ready before mine and Wendy's. And uh, so her meal was set in front of her. And I said, okay, you go ahead and eat. Let's pray. You go ahead and eat. And then me and Yaya will eat in a minute. And so she, um, we were holding hands, and, um, and she said, okay, so I'm going to pray. And I said, yeah, you're going to pray. And so she took her hand from mine, and she put her hands together in front of her, and she began, God is good, God is great. Let us thank Him for this food. And she went on, and she prayed, and then she said, and, uh, you know, uh, she said, amen, and then I turned away, and she said, wait, is that right? And I said, yeah, it's right. And she says, I want to make sure, get my plate. And so I went to the pantry, and I dug around, and I got her plate that has on the border, God is good, God is great, let us thank Him for, well, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. You see, I need a tool, too. By his hand, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. And she says, okay, you can put that back now. So what she wanted in her prayer was not pop-pop to say, okay, what questions do you have about prayer so that you can pray tonight before you eat? Which is her daily prayer. Those are the occasions with us when Emerson prays, that and when she goes to sleep at night, when we go to bed, whenever she's having a sleepover. But what she wanted was not a theology lesson. What she wanted was encouragement to say, I want to make sure that I'm doing it right according to this tool. I want, a, I want a tool. I want, a, I want further encouragement as, a, as I pray because I'm talking to God and I want to do it well. And I believe that were she able to articulate it so that she could say, that she is his. Now, all that is the introduction. I want, in the time that remains, to do this. I'm going to read the scriptures and then make a couple of two observations afterwards. And so, if you have your Bibles, or it'll be projected, the first part of scripture that I want to read, now this is God's sermon to you. This is 
This is God's word to you. And then my observations and my suggested application is our, through the Holy Spirit, our takeaway, what we see in His Word. But listen, listen now to just a few select passages of what we can learn about prayer. And in John 17, I'm not going to read all 26 verses. I'm just going to read through verse 9. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. That means I have broadcasted, I've made much of your name out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They listened, they followed, they responded. Now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Going over to Matthew 6, verses 7 through 15. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Once again, he's magnifying the name of God first in his prayer. He's praising him before he ever does any petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Then over to Mark 1, verse 35. And rising, this is Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed. And he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Over to Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great 
crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. In other words, you think you're busy? You think you got a schedule? You think you've got a conflicted schedule? His was absolutely crazy. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Then over to Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 41. And he came out and went as was his custom. There's a pattern. There's a, there's a, there's a commitment daily to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. Then over to Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. Now this is a considerable passage, and this switches. But notice that there's, there's, you're going to see the word glory, glorification, and groaning. Groaning is, 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 a, is a metaphor here for praying, almost without words. Just, oh God, and just aching for that day when sin and death and ruin and temptation and weakness and failure will all be removed. They will be glorified. Verse 18, Apostle Paul speaking. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for he who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And I should say we wait with it as we patiently groan and pray. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. We don't even know how to pray. I just had this longing to be, to be the man and woman He wants me to be. And I don't even know how to really pray to that end. But the Spirit, the Counselor, is promised to meet me in that longing and teach me how to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now, in verses 29 and 30 is what we call the golden chain. Try to link them as I give them to you. And notice that there's a plan and an intentionality by God that He will complete. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed. In other words, you were on His mind before eternity. He called you to Himself 
And He is, through the power right now, even against resistance, He is conforming you to be an image bearer. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. That is in the promise that God has made to us to come. That awaits us. That future day that we will be without any imperfection. Psalm 3, verse 3 and 4. This is David on the run. Every glory in his life is now fallen. He is no longer on the throne. He no longer is in possession of the kingdom. He no longer is a proud papa of a family. They've all turned against him. His own army is in disarray. He is, he, he is in, in a threat of his life. There are enemies all around him. And he says in his prayer, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord. And that's a form of prayer. We're going to look at that in the series, heart cry. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. This is God's word, holy word, thanks be to God. Okay, a couple of observations. Two observations. Number one, Jesus prayed daily to a father that he was devoted to. Jesus prayed daily to a father that he was devoted to. Um, It's a, a great term for regularly scheduled time that we budget each day to read the scripture, as was just done, to prayerfully make observations, and to apply it. Lord, what are you saying to me? And then to pray. It's called MOG, the means of grace. God's Word, prayer, and fellowship and worship as His people. And it's how we follow God as disciples. And Jesus modeled that, but He wasn't simply modeling it in order to transfer it as a teaching device as to how we might walk as disciples. He was modeling it because it was real. He was was really devoted to God as His Father daily. And that led him into what the popular term is, daily devotion. Some people call it a quiet time. Sometimes around here, I've, I, I will call it everyday worship. I had a friend, Jack Miller, who used to call his prayer time, meeting with my father in the morning. And do you know what that did for him When he called it that, it created an earthquake shift in his heart so that he didn't feel like he was speaking words into an empty room that got no further than the ceiling. Nor did he feel like when he prayed, his words were going out there, out there, out there. And I hope that a distant, impersonal God will pick up on a few of them and respond. No. 
Jack Miller believed that in meeting with the Father in the morning, that whenever he came to that designated place where he would spend a few minutes conversing with God, God was already there waiting for him like a proud papa. My son's up. Hey, I love you. Let's talk. What's going on? Do you sleep well? You know, I didn't, I didn't sleep a week because I watched over you all night. I never sleep when you sleep because I love protecting you. I love watching you. I got a whole day ahead of you and in store for you. Oh, what? You love me? And you're, you're a proud son and daughter? You want to make much of me because you're devoted to me? Wow. Can you make that tectonic shift? Because, see, if you approach prayer, let me be direct here. If you approach prayer as God's servant, it's going to have a, it's going to have a lot of words. It may be very mechanical because you don't want to displease Him. You want to get it right. And you may also offer a lot of petitions. This is what I need, God, to do your job. If I'm going to be your child, this is what I need. A lot of petitions. But we need to see prayer as a mixture of both praise, glorify Him, make much of Him, and then my petitions. They're welcomed. A father welcomes them. But first, there is the act of devotion of praying to Him as a father. And also praying as a child, a son and a daughter, not an orphan. You know, an orphan has a lot of desperation, maybe a lot of guilt. I'm not the child that I should be, and please don't forsake me. And I haven't had a lot of answers to prayer lately, and, and I've got trial in my life. Maybe you're mad at me. I'm so unworthy. No. A son or daughter approaches God with confidence. Notice in John 17, in verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have with you before the world existed. He doesn't ask, can you? He says, now do it. Do it now. Glorify me. And what he's saying is this. Is he's saying, Father, I make much of you. That's my definition of, of glorifying something. Making much over it. Making it big. This is huge. He makes much of God the Father, and he's saying, would you also make much of me? And the Father gladly does. That's what it means when you approach God as your Father in daily devotion. Has that shift taken place in your heart? Well, let's be honest. Many of you guys grew up in a household with a dad that was distant Sometimes he appeared very impersonal. When you wanted to, when you got home or when he came home, he didn't want to be bothered. He didn't want you invading his comfort zone. He didn't want a lot of conversation. He was hard to talk to. And that has tempered and clouded how you see God. You think he's a lot like your dad. Very hard to talk to, really not interested. Go ask mom. God's not like that. God's not like that at all. And we can approach him as his children and just begin by glorifying and making much of him. Secondly, 
my uh, second observation this morning is that Jesus emptied himself of glory and he expects to be refilled. Now, the word for glory is the word kavod. And it means weight, or you might say matter. It's heavy. Um, a rock in water is is has more glory, so to speak, than the water because it's heavier. It displaces the water. Get out of my way. I've got more matter than you. Jesus, we read in Philippians, emptied himself of his weightiness, his superiority, his glory. So much that at the nativity... Those that looked in the manger, unless they had otherwise been foretold by a star or angels in the heaven of what they saw, they just saw a baby. They didn't see God, Emmanuel, with us. They didn't see it. In his 33 years of life, there were many, many people that would look at him and they wouldn't see God. When Isaiah says, that there was nothing about him to attract us. It meant that there was nothing about him to attract our attention to him other than any other man. In fact, Isaiah implies and says many would even turn their face away from him. Someone once said that he might have had some kind of disfigurement or he was not a handsome man. But in other words, Jesus stepped down out of the heavens to come in he emptied himself of his glory, but for what purpose? Well, John 17 says, I glorified you on earth. How did you glorify me on earth? How did you make much of me, Jesus, God could say, on earth? And he says, by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. All right, now quick. Now you're going to look at your Bibles, which is good. But where was Jesus praying this prayer? When was he praying this prayer? Jesus was still in the upper room. Not yet, you read in verse 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. So it's after the upper room. The upper room, the, the Lord's communion, the Lord's table, the Passover feast has been celebrated. Judas has already left. The disciples' feet have been washed. And we have a tremendous amount of teaching his last words to his disciples and then how did he conclude he said I want to pray for you and not only you I want to pray for everybody in the world and in the and in time as time remains that will come to be a disciple who follows me and we have this grand prayer but it was prior to the cross it was prior just hours but it was prior to his arrest. And he's saying, I've accomplished the work. What was that work? That work was to walk in obedience, in humble obedience and in reliance upon God his Father. Jesus prayed. Jesus worshipped. Jesus obeyed. Jesus was Perfect. He lived a life that we should have lived. So it's not simply his death on the cross. Oh, it's that. But it's so much more. 
Jesus gave glory to his God and could tell him so. My life made much of you. My life made much of you. I would empty my life in order to make much of you. And then he says in verse 5, Father, now glorify me. If you were to, in your own Bibles, I don't have it, go back to uh, John 13. John 13, verses 31 and 32. Now at this point, Judas has just left the building. And Jesus turns to his disciples and verse 31 says, Now, same language, is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. In other words, he says, Judas just left to go betray him. And Jesus is saying, now it begins. Now the Father is going to make much of me. And from that point on, Jesus goes to the garden. Jesus is arrested. He's falsely tried. He is beaten. He is spit upon. Crown of thorns pierce his head. Nails are then soon to... He's, he's whipped. Splinters in the back. Bearing his own cross. Crucified shamefully. Naked. Between criminals. Judged to be cursed because he dies on a tree. Painful nails in wrist and ankles. Dying and suffocating agony. A breaking heart. Forsaken by God. And he says, that's my glory. That's my glory. Father, I want you to make much of it. In other words, in the pouring out of my life, in the story of the gospel that will be communicated, I want you to make much of that. I made much of you in my life. Now may my death make much of you and you make much of me in my death. That's important that you get this. Because everything that is true for Jesus the Son is true for you as sons. I know it boggles the mind. Sometimes I think that's, it just sounds heretical to say that, but it's true. Jesus shares His glory and everything that he experienced, every trial, every heartbreak, every sorrow, even in his death, the father says, he asked the father, use it to point to you and make much of your glory, but also use it to glorify my life, to make much of me. Well, let me give a couple of applications Three, exactly. Number one, I can give glory to God the Father when I pray. Jesus, here in John 17, it says, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. There are at least three occasions where we see Jesus praying and He looks to heaven. So he's, going, he's got the multitude to feed them. And it says, taking bread, he looked to the heavens and praying, 
he broke the bread. The tomb of Lazarus. He is standing before a dead man's tomb and he's getting ready to pronounce for a dead man to get up and walk. Three days dead to come out of a tomb. And it says that Jesus, standing before that tomb, looks to heaven and he prays, Father, I know that you hear me. You always hear me. But so that they will know that it's you, then I look to you and I pray aloud. In other words, everybody that saw Lazarus come forth, they could say this was no magic hat trick by Jesus. It was him speaking to God and saying, God, I look with eyes only to you. I'm going to give you, and I want you to get all the glory in the answer to this prayer. They would all say, God did it in response to his prayer. I give glory to God. You give glory to God when you pray. When you pray devoted to him. It is, um, I'm told, I read this last week, that C.S. Lewis, in his bedroom where he prayed every day before he left his home, in his bedroom, there's only one article, one painting or, or image on the walls in his bedroom. Only one. That it was the Shroud of Turin. The face, what some people believe to be the face of Jesus. And that he prayed eyes wide open to that face. Saying, I can't do this day on my own. I look to you as Savior and Lord. I give you glory. There's nothing bigger than you in my life. What do you look to? Jesus looked and said, Father, I give glory to God when I look in prayer, whether I'm looking down at the Word and praying Scripture, whether I'm looking at my journal prayer that I've written out, whether I look at an image of Christ, whether I close my eyes and I imagine something, some image or presence, I give glory to Him when I pray to Him as my Father. It's an act of... I mean, you know how... Again, it boggles the mind. How can we... Ants on earth give the creator of the universe any more glory than he already has. But you do. You build, when you make much of him in your life, when you make much of him in your prayers, you're adding weight, more weight, more glory to him. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king, and he's my king. Give him law, give him glory, and you begin, as you begin to pray, you feel that. You feel like, I'm, I'm making him bigger. And I'm making him bigger because he is bigger in my life. Number two, I can empty myself like Jesus. I can empty myself of this world's glory with hope. Psalm 3, verses 3 and 4. Like David, it many times is going to take a disaster. We don't naturally empty ourselves of things that bring us some modicum of glory, fulfillment confidence, happiness. We don't, we don't tend to even attempt to empty ourselves of any of those things. Many times like David, God will take our little teapot with his handle and spout, tip us over and pour us out. Why? So that he can fill us with his own glory. 
He will take our small little idols of our job or our reputation or our relationships or our money or our health. He will take our talents. He will take all those things and He'll pour them out so that He can put His glory, His plan, His gospel, His Son into our life and refill us. And I can trust Him in that. And I say, you know what? You really are my glory. You're my glory because why? David would say, because you lift my head. All my other glories eventually, they won't lift my head. When I face guilt and shame, when I face the struggles that I do, when I look in the mirror and I either see and I begin to be so critical of my body image, or when I look in a mirror kind of spiritually and I say, man, you think you've got everybody fooled, don't you? You're not fooling yourself. You're no true disciple. Why don't you just stop this Christian game? Why don't you just stop? And you begin to judge yourself shamefully. The Holy Spirit can come to us in prayer and say, with our repentance, He can, be, he can begin to refill us and say, let me glorify you now. I forgive you where you don't bring me glory, but let me glorify you by telling you you're my son. You're my daughter. I am at work in your life. And then lastly, I can face my own cross with the promise of glory. And that's, that's the promise that we have, is that this life is not all there is. That whatever cross, whatever life threatening thing, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, whatever the threat is against my life that makes me so anxious, I can be comforted. And like Paul, I can say, I count my trials and my suffering as a lighter thing when I compare it to that weight of glory now and in the future that awaits me. And that's where I put my hopes. I, I've been reading and listening a bit to some messages by Joni Erickson Tata. And this comes out over and over and over again. She's not bitter. She's not despondent. She's not joyless. But her joy is not found in her circumstances as a paraplegic. Her joy is found in the hope that one day that body will run and swim and ride her beloved horses once again. She was interviewed years ago by a reporter who said, How do you stay so buoyant? Can I just travel with you throughout a day and just observe how you as a Christian author and, and speaker and, and your ministry to the, the handicapped and the per paralyzed with the gospel of joy. How can I, can I just follow you? She said, sure. So from the moment she was ready to leave the house, the reporter tagged along. He saw her put into a specialized van from her specialized wheelchair. He saw her carried to a horse farm where they were giving riding lessons 
And he saw her taken out of the van and put into the, the, the motorized car seat and then taking over next to the paddock and for her to watch all of these individuals riding and galloping and doing the jumps on horseback. And then later put back in the van, but she just watched for hours. She just watched. And then they loaded her up and they took her on for the rest of the day. Later, he asked, he said, why do you do that to yourself? How, that, that's going to be crazy. Do you know how that would, that would be soul killing? You can't ride. You'll never ride again in this life. You will never. You are so crippled. There's no way. There's no device that would allow you to even resemble or mimic being on horseback that you love to do. There's no way you can do that. You're just teasing yourself, aren't you? And she said, oh no. Oh no. You've forgotten about glory. She said, I want, I want to go out and I want to listen to the trainer and I want to watch the students because I don't want to forget how to ride a horse between now and eternity. Do you see how that works? Can you imagine if you could... We've been trying to dial in on Jesus praying for us. Can you imagine what it would be like to eavesdrop Joni Erickson Todd in her prayers? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I want to make much of you, even with the cross that I bear. I want to empty myself of any glory I could achieve on horseback in this life. I want to pray now and I want to give you glory. You are my God and my King. I'm not bitter to you. And in this cross, I hold on and in my prayers to the hope and the promise that one day you're going to glorify me. Now, that is your instructions. Take out your outline. And I had a box of pens up here that I think maybe one of our setup team might have uh, relocated. Okay, so we hadn't finished the sermon yet. We're getting ready to finish the sermon. It's only going to take a couple of minutes. But um, take out your, your journal sheet. Take out your journal sheet. And if we can't find the box of pens, I'm going to send someone out to get a couple of crayons. Trey, would you grab some crayons? Not to treat you elementary, but I apologize for not having those resources at hand. Here's what you're going to do. We're just going to take a couple of two, maybe three minutes, and then I'm going to close us by praying for us together, and we're simply going to give glory to God in your prayer journal. You're going to write out your prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Justin found them. Um, where's Dan Tempest? Oh, hey, Dan. Right. And Ed. I'm going to let you guys, these are deacon candidates, so our deacons are going to judge you as far as how good a job you do this. All right, these men are going to make sure that you have an ink pen to write. You're going to pray. We're going to pray right now as a congregation. Give glory to God. Fill up that page. And somewhere in your prayer, make much of God right now on this page. Go ahead and start writing. This is your prayer to Him. But somewhere before you conclude with an amen, as you give praise to Him, 
acknowledge and put your hope again in the promise that God makes much of you now by calling you his son or daughter, and God will make much of you in the new heaven and the new earth by completely, completely immortalizing you through glorification. In other words, there, there will be no more sin, no more handicap, no more imperfections. And for all eternity, we shall enjoy Him in all of glory. Heavenly Father, we boast in You. We glorify You. We praise You, adore You, make much of Your name. You are Creator. You are God. You are our Father. We thank You for the relationship that we have through God the Son, through the testimony of the Holy Spirit to our heart that Jesus is really our Savior and now we are really true sons and daughters of Yours. Marvel of marvel. Glorious is that gospel story. Glory to Jesus for your life and your death and your resurrection. Glory to you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to our heart, for drawing us in repentance and faith to walk with you as disciples and to constantly not only speak assurance to our heart, but transformation and change in our lives that we're becoming more and more in the image of the Son every day and it will be completed in the heavens and in eternity. We will be true sons then, true daughters. Father, to you be all glory, laud, and honor this day as we pray in the glorious name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Amen.